Welcome to The Brand Moat, the podcast where each month we bring you inspirational stories from global brand leaders who share how to build your brand and future-proof your business. I'm Julie Slater. I start every episode with big ideas and wrap up each show with key insights so you can focus on taking action. And in case you're wondering, why do we call this show The Brand Moat? Well, just like a castle, your moat protects you from outsiders and the competition. When the idea is applied to your company, it helps you maintain your competitive advantage. Your moat may be a feature, some tech magic or marketing secret sauce, but we think your strongest moat is your brand. This podcast is all about that. Laurent Genoux is Vice President of Brand and Communications at Zwift. Zwift is a fitness company born from gaming. It's the first company to use massive multiplayer gaming technology to bring the outdoor experience indoors, creating rich 3D-generated worlds. I'm going to ask Laurent how athletes are using Zwift, and also formative questions about brands. Like, what is a brand? Why do you need one? And what does it take to make a brand last? Here's my conversation with Laurent Janoux. Laurent, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. If someone's listening and they're not exactly sure what Zwift is all about, maybe give us uh, yeah, for a sure. Quick yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is something quite special. Zwift is an app that is using MMO gaming technology, so uh, multiplayer, massive online gaming technology, and uh, we have created a series of uh, virtual world in which uh, athletes, riders, and runners. Uh, connect to using their equipment at home. So their treadmill, their uh, cycling trainers, their heart rate monitor. And uh, that data is used to uh, power an avatar in our virtual world. And this is how uh, cyclists and runners and triathletes uh, use Zwift to um, ride, run, train, compete from the comfort of their homes. We have more than 300 events you know, per day. We have more than 1,000 workouts that are used by... Uh, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And it gives you the possibility to train whatever the weather, uh, whatever the uh, road conditions, in an environment that is very immersive, very entertaining, and always surrounded by fellow runners and fellow riders. A lot of people are aware of Peloton. Um, what is the difference between your company and Peloton? We're asked that question quite regularly because we are, uh, Zwift and Peloton are uh, associated quite frequently in the press as uh, kind of very similar proposition. They are actually very different proposition. Uh, Peloton is in the business of on-demand spinning classes, to, to make it uh, simple. And uh, we have a very different target audience and a very different product. Our target audience is far more competitive and enthusiast cyclists and triathletes and runners. And our proposition is about an immersive gaming experience that allows you to uh, either do a social ride or a social run or follow a training plan or do a workout under your own terms. So the level of interaction, the level of gamification, the level of social component of, the, of our proposition is, is much higher than, than Peloton. So we're all about talking about brands and marketing, and you've worked with both the agency and the client side for brands, like huge brands like Netflix, Nike, Adidas, Louis Vuitton, Michelin, Nissan. What do you think has made those brands brands, as in they have an identity that consumers actually want to get to know more about? Like, What do you think is drawing people to them? It's a fascinating topic. If we were to identify a few common points, I think they, they're probably down to two things. The first one is related to how they were founded. I think they were all founded 
with the objective to answer a very strong consumer problem at that time. So in the story of our foundation, it all started by the identification of a very real and immediate problem that those companies tried to solve. So immediately it uh, made them extremely relevant. If you, if you want to you know, think about the different brands that you just listed, when Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman started Nike, or in the first few years of what became the Nike history, they really wanted to create a light and fast and versatile uh, running shoe that would be an alternative to the only shoe that was shoes that were available at that time, which were European proposition of Puma and Adidas. So there was a real strong problem in, in the market that they were trying to address. When you think about Louis Vuitton, they were really trying to develop sophisticated, luxurious proposition of travel luggage for the elite. When you think about Michelin, they were really trying to answer the problem of providing to the market reliable motorcycles and car tires when traveling on roads at that time was really a quite a dangerous adventure. So all of, all of those companies basically started because there was a very strong need, there was a very strong gap in the market, there was a very strong problem that needed an answer. And uh, they basically took that opportunity. So all of a sudden they became very relevant and very desirable. So that's the first uh, point. I think the second point is about how they managed to stay relevant over the years. I mean, we're talking about companies, some of them with more than 100 years of history. There's an art and a science to it, probably, to stay extremely relevant and to stay at the forefront of uh, popular culture. You know, if you think about uh, the Michelin Man, this is a genius branding idea that really uh, travel through the, the years and through the centuries. If you think about the uh, Nike strategy with uh, the, their association to pro-athletes, it is a, a genius strategy that allowed them to really constantly surf the wave of popular culture. And, and we, can, we could keep going on and on, like uh, citing examples of uh, how those different brands managed to stay very fresh and very new and, and even more relevant to their, to their audience years after years. So the first thing you had mentioned was that a brand should really solve a problem. What would you say Zwift is solving? The problem that Zwift is trying to solve is uh, that indoor training for cycling and indoor training for running was probably the most boring thing that you could do. There's a reason why runners call the treadmill a treadmill, And uh, indoor training for cycling before Zwift was basically being on your bike, in your garage, staring at a blank wall for <laughs> hours and hours. So that, that is the problem that Zwift is solving. And when Zwift was invented and was offered to the public, all of a sudden it made indoor training for cyclists and runners and triathletes uh, not only entertaining, uh, but also a very immersive experience and an almost addictive experience. We have uh, many uh, gold medalists and many uh, professional cyclists and professional runners that are training on Zwift uh, every day. And some of them are doing most of their training indoors. I mean, wow. some of the triathletes on our platform are doing like 90% of their training indoors thanks to Zwift. So you're saying that with these big brands like Nike, they've come up with these genius ideas to keep the brand alive. How do you plan to do that with Zwift? How does any brand, pl you know, do you have any advice? <laughs> 
Yeah, so for Zwift, I'd love to have the answer right now. Uh, we're, we're still a young brand. We're, we're five years old, and we're working very hard to make Zwift a long-lasting brand. We have a, a few things in our favor. We have a very clear product vision. We have a very clear idea of what our brand personality and what our branded identity is. We have started to flex our muscle about stretching our proposition into new sports. You know, we started with cycling and now we're in running and we're thinking about other development. Any other? Like what other sports would you go into? Uh, I can't, can't really say us. right now, uh, but hopefully you'll Give know. Give us all your secrets. <laughs> but you'll know in the f- f- soon, in the near future. But we're constantly thinking about um, how we can expand our proposition and how we can grow uh, our business, but also how we can grow our audiences. And there's, the, there's a challenge there, which is uh, how do you grow your audience without losing the core? Because also one of the big strengths of Zwift is uh, we have a very passionate community of fans that is uh, not only you know, giving us uh, energy, uh, but also keeping us in check to make sure that we stay true to what our core proposition is. So future will tell. It's part of the the pleasure of working for a brand like Zwift is that uh, there is a lot of potential and it's uh, really for us to shape that destiny. That seems like a big issue with any brand is if you start in a small way, which most brands would do, and now you have this really passionate group, but you want to expand the company. So how do you keep in tune with that initial group? while also growing? Like, what are the ways you stay in touch with the initial base? I'm not sure there's one answer to this because it's probably very different from, from one market, one industry to, um, to another. Certainly, one of the answers to that question comes with uh, what kind of brand architecture you put in place. I mean, if you, if you go back to some of the wonderful brands that you've mentioned at the beginning of, the, um, of this discussion, um, all of them have basically developed some kind of brand architecture that allows to have a very clear and specific proposition for one segment of the market and offers a different proposition, a different sub-brand, a different sister brand to another part of their market, to another part of the, of the audience. So, and so, so that's probably one of the answers. But staying in touch with the core community is definitely, uh, you know, one of the big challenges of, of brands today. How do, you, how do you develop, how do you grow without losing that core? And I think that all the brands that are starting with a very small and strong community of core fans should have in mind because it's very easy to lose touch of your community. What social media is working best for you and your company at Swift? Are you heavy on social media? Zwift is a very uh, special proposition to that extent because um, I don't think we're in a traditional position where there is um, a very organized and defined place where you communicate with your audience and your community. I mean, a, a big part of what keeps Zwift alive, the Zwift platform alive, is the community. A lot of the events that are happening on Zwift today a lot of the group runs and group rides and group workouts are organized by the community without almost any of our support. Oh, so wild. Zwift is a living and breathing world and um, that life and that breath is really brought to us by the community without really us intervening. So uh, we really want to make sure that Zwift stays that 
open place that is uh, welcoming and safe for anyone who wants to ride, anyone who wants to run, uh, organize a, a ride with their friends or a ride with their training mates. So I think community, the social aspect of Zwift is uh, present absolutely throughout our entire ecosystem from the game in itself to obviously our social media channels. So I would think that you would say uh, with a brand, if you provide something great to a community, the community will almost sell the brand for you Yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you're, you're completely right. You were mentioning earlier most of the brands start with a small community. That's, that is definitely the appeal of starting with a small community. I see three big advantages to starting with a, a small community. The first one is they help you shape your product your proposition in, in a much more precise way than with a broader audience because they have more precise and more defined consumer insights. Uh, they have more precise, more acute problems that, that you can answer for them. It allows you to shape your product maybe quicker, but also in a, in a far more precise way. Then the second point is they're also probably pushing you, this community is pushing you to make decisions that are more radical, maybe polarizing from time to time. But at the end of the day, this is great. A bit polarizing decisions are very useful. I mean, the, the edges are always more desirable and attractive than the mainstream. And then the third point is that when you start venturing into a broader audience, then this core community becomes your like more passionate advocates. So that's... That's definitely, I think, the advantages of starting with a, a small, passionate community of fans rather than um, starting with a broader audience in mind. How do you get your employees to have the passion for the product as you do? It's really about going back to what we just talked about, which is how do you share and how do you socialize you know, internally what, what the brand is? And uh, because the brand is a very powerful external tool, but it's also a very powerful internal tool. So socializing and sharing those internal tools uh, are, is, is, is paramount to, to basically um, be able to benefit from all the advantage that having a strong brand can, can bring you. There's many different ways to do this. There's many different tools to do this. Reflecting on my few most recent experiences, I think the uh, one of the most useful tool you can use to actually make people understand what the brand is and really also use it as an internal tool to allow them to not only work better together but also live better together and make like sound business decision is, is the notion of, of brand values. Brand values are very often and I think wrongly seen as a HR tool. And I think they're far more than an HR tool. When connected strongly enough to what the brand is, they can become a, a guide for business decision and business development. And so are you saying with your brand values out to consumers, but you also want to bring that in to your own company? Yeah, I mean, brand values, sure. usually, you know, brand values are stay inside. And in the past few years, they've, uh, they've gone outside. You know, they've really been, they have been used not only as, as an internal management tool or internal HR tool, but also as, as a way not only to attract good talent, but also to guide business decision. And uh, the example that I was about to, um, to mention is the, the Nike examples. They have uh, what, what they call 11 maxims. And one of them is, for example, the um, is simplify and go. 
So if you think about Simplify and Go, you, are, you, you can see immediately how strong of an internal mantra it can be, but also how much of a useful principle it can become when you're in difficult business decision and you have to make a, find a simple answer. At Zwift, we've gone through that exercise recently and uh, I've formulated five brand values that are really related to our brand proposition. Uh, make it fun, elevate your teammate, always level up, cultivate your community, and one Zwift for all. And I've been fascinated to see how those brand values that uh, initially start uh, as an internal tool be become a very useful guiding decision. And when you think about... Uh, uh, always level up when you think about ones with for all. It's a very precise guide in what kind of proposition you make for the community and what kind of product you are going to develop. When you have make it fun as a key element of interaction, it's also guiding very clearly the product development. You've mentioned Nike a few times. I would imagine you're a big fan of that brand. Is there any brand we haven't talked about that you're a big fan of? So many brands. <laughs> it could be an all-night discussion, honestly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a long-time fan of, and I don't think you'll be very surprised by this because they, the two brands that I'm going to mention are probably quite exemplary and, and related to everything we just talked about. Patagonia is, is one of them. I think Patagonia is, uh, is really a very good example of everything we talked about. You know, starting with a very clear vision that is rooted in a in a problem lived by their customers at that time, uh, a very strong philosophy that they, that they carry through everything they do, from the way they design and print their catalog to the way they design and produce their product. So uh, that's definitely a big, big, big... I'm, I'm, I have a huge respect for Patagonia. And more recently, I think Airbnb has done an amazing job at really defining a very strong vision, very strong values, and, and carrying them over everything they do. So those two brands are some of the ones that have done an amazing job in the, the past few years. So you're definitely blazing some new t territory with Zwift, and you've taken you know gaming and blending it with exercise. I'm wondering, what was the easiest part of building the brand, and what was the most challenging? The easiest part of building the brand was... Um, that there was a very clear product vision. Uh, John Mayfield, who, who created the app, created the game, had a very strong product vision since the very beginning. He really wanted to, to change that dreadful experience of indoor training and making it like far more gamified, using a, a, a lot of what makes a, a great video game. And uh, so that product vision is was extremely clear since the start, and... And it's, it's basically the thing that we come back to when, whenever we're, lo we're looking for ideas or whenever we're not completely sure where we're going. And that's definitely the inspiration of a lot of the work we've done around the brand. So that definitely was the easiest part. And then the second, the second thing that made it easy is, uh, we talked about it already, is this amazing community of very passionate users, very loyal and passionate users. That seems to make it a lot easier have a lot of passionate users. Yeah, it does, it does. <laughs> you were asking about the challenging... Were you asking about the challenging part? The challenging, yeah. I mean, the challenging part of building the brand is, um, I think, finding the right mix between uh, rigor and, and creativity. Because we're a young brand, we have tons of ideas. 
we have we have great entrepreneurs within our walls with tons of initiatives and and we always need to keep an eye on uh, is it going too far is it staying on brand are we right to uh, develop visual identity or a different personality for that side of the business. So finding that right mix is challenging. Now, did you tailor the brand to the audience or did you create a brand and then find an audience? So we started with the audience. In a bit of an, I think, I hope I'm not rewriting history, but in a bit of an unconscious way, when John created the game, he was the audience. I mean, if you ask him, he will probably tell you that he um, he created Zwift. It wasn't called Zwift at that time, but he created that product because he wanted to answer a problem that he was living. And um, when Eric Min, our CEO, connected with John and asked him if they if he would, if if he wanted to do something with this product or, or make it a bigger adventure. Uh, Eric Min was also a cyclist that was uh, living the nightmare of training indoors in a, a European city during the, 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 the winter. So it started with the audience because those two guys uh, were the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, they articulated and, and they developed the product and in a way that found, you know, basically people that were uh, experiencing the same product that, that, than them very easily. So the name of our podcast is The Brand Moats, and we talk about how a brand can be, you know, like a moat is around a castle, and a brand is, you kind of have to defend your brand. What is the best way for a brand to defend themselves against competitors? There's, um, I think the foundation of the brand moat is all the different components of of what we call brand identity. So brand identity is not visual identity. So brand identity is visual identity is basically a logo and you know your color palette and, and your font and the way you're using this. But brand identity is composed by by many other different things. So it's visual identity but also what is the kind of personality you want your brand to have, what is your tone of voice, uh, what is your brand proposition no, no matter how you call or how you get to that brand proposition, whatever format you're using, but all those different elements are really the foundation that build your brand moat because they are the foundation on which you, you build the relationship with your audience. Uh, I mean, think about it as um, going to a dinner party and, uh, and you're meeting someone and you're having a great discussion with that person and then you go home and then you start you know, remembering what that person was like. And you are going to start to remember how the person was dressed and what was the tone of her voice or and uh, what was the unique point of view that that person, you know, brought to the discussion. And it's, it's exactly the same thing with the brand. I mean, as you need to have all those different components in place to make sure that you lay the foundation, you do the groundwork to build that relationship. If you go home and you only remember that that person was wearing that kind of dress or that kind of suit that will not be enough. So it's exactly the same thing for a brand. If you um, be rigorous about developing those different aspects, those different components of your brand identity, and that becomes the foundation for your brand moat, the moat in itself is not so much the the brand identity. The moat becomes the strength of the relationship that you're building with the audience that is based on that brand identity. Because at the end of the day, brands are really just behavioral contracts. 
They're basically just how you codify your relationship with your audience, how you uh, define a promise and how you deliver on that promise consistently throughout every single touch point of your brand ecosystem. And this is how you build trust. And with trust comes that brand mode. So what would you say is the biggest mistake someone can make with building a brand? Thinking about the fact that uh, a brand can be built only on great advertising or great visual identity, basically just on individual components of that brand identity. This is really completely missing the point that it is about that relationship. It is about that behavioral contract and that you have to prove yourself time and time again. So that's probably the biggest mistake uh, you can make. Thank you so much for being on the show, Laurent. Thank you very much. It was, a, it was a pleasure. That's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Loomly, the brand success platform that helps your team collaborate, publish, and succeed all in one place. Check out Loomly.com and start your free trial now. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Slater.